You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1078 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening. And today's podcast is not an emergency episode necessarily, but there is one bit of transactional news that would have headlined any podcast. Not a huge move, but still a uh, podcast-worthy one. And then after that, we'll get into what I was planning for today, which was some mailbag questions and some news, etc. So at the top, I will just say that Jolly Okafor is reportedly going to be joining the Atlanta Hawks on a one-year non-guaranteed contract. It was reported by Sham Sarani at The Athletic, then confirmed by Sarah Spencer of the AJC. So um, some double confirmation there. Nothing's been announced at this point by the Hawks, but because it's a non-guaranteed deal, they probably don't have to really do that. So all that said, Okafor is a prominent name, quite obviously. He's 25 now, will be 26 in December, but a forward number three overall pick, um, potential number one overall pick in that draft, uh, dating back to his Duke days. Kind of been a uh, roller coaster for him in the NBA. Um, been in the league for six seasons with the Sixers, Nets, Pelicans, and Pistons. He was traded by Detroit to Brooklyn in the DeAndre Jordan deal just a couple of weeks ago at this point in time, then waived about a week ago by the Nets. To, that put him back on the market, obviously. And last year, he played 27 games for the Pistons, about 350 minutes overall, 5.5 points, 2.5 rebounds, and shot 62% from the floor last season. And he's been pretty efficient as a scorer, anyway, the last couple of seasons in the NBA. Um, skill-wise, obviously, there's some stuff to like and not like about Okafor. At the top of the heap would be his individual scoring. It's always been his appeal, uh, dating back to college and prospect hype. He can get buckets. He's a good post player. He can definitely score for himself. Um, and that's definitely the headline appeal for him, other than just being a, a high-pedigree guy who's been around for a while. Um, rebounding, not a strength. Let's just say last year was kind of a, a nadir there, actually. A 13.9% defensive rebound rate, which is pretty bad for most anyone, especially a center. His career rate is about 18%, which for uh, some comparison's sake... That's about the same defensive rebound rate that guys like Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma, Kelton Johnson, Royce O'Neal had last year. So not a good rebounder for a center. Let's just be honest about that. Even dating back to college, it's been a weakness for him. Um, and that's uh, not the greatest thing in the world for a you know near seven-footer. He's a high turnover guy offensively too. Likes to create for himself and that can get him into some issues. Not a bad, not a, not a bad passer, but not a great one either. Uh, can can pass, but it's definitely more of an individual score than anything else offensively. And he's basically a non-shooter too from the perimeter. Like I said, he's uh, very good in the post and can definitely create his own shot. But only 6% of his career shot attempts have been beyond 10 feet. So he's mostly a scorer near the rim. Um, not a terrible free throw shooter either, a 68% career shooter at the line, but not a huge strength there. If he gets fouled, it's going to be positive because if you do the math on that, that's some high efficiency shots, but still not a great free throw shooter. Top all that off. Um, defensively, not great for Okafor, honestly. That's been a weakness of his dating back to the draft. Um, one of the reasons why he was not a consensus number one overall pick when he came out of the draft was that defensively, it's never been particularly good. Um, last year, EPM, uh, which is estimated plus minus, had him as the, in the 17th percentile among defenders. That's one of those advanced metrics. If you lower the minimum threshold for minutes played in the 538 Raptor metric last year, Okafor would have been the third worst defensive player in the league. I'm not sure he's that bad, but it's not good. Uh, and 
in contrast to like guys like Trey Young, who of course been obviously criticized heavily for defense. When you're playing center and you're a bad defender, like think Enos Cantor is a good example. Um, that can be really damaging. Um, you know, it's a lot worse to have a bad defensive center than a bad defensive guard, and Okafor is a bad defensive center. So not a great uh, appeal there for him. Um, bottom 50 in that same metric for 538's Raptor the previous season. You can debate how bad he is, but he's definitely not good. I would say you know, solidly below average, if not worse than that, on the defensive end of the floor. And again, just more of a, more of a score than anything else. That's his primary appeal. It's kind of always been his appeal, but it's definitely the case now. You know, six, six seasons in, that's kind of what we know about Okafor at this point. Also, he's the third guy on the Hawks roster to come out of Duke, along with Cam Reddish and Joe Johnson. So a little bit of a connection there, obviously, to Duke. And for some context, I've been saying for a long time, um, dating back to Summer League and even before that, that the Hawks were almost always going to sign a third center type on a small contract. I've heard that forever now, and it finally happened. Um, as I tweeted today, I was not exactly expecting Okafor. He was not, he was not a free agent, to be honest. He was, on, he was not on my list because he wasn't a free agent until about a week and a half ago. With that said, this, the move itself in terms of signing a center does not surprise me, particularly on a, on a non-guarantee. Um, I, I had, I've heard for a while now that they were looking to get someone on this kind of deal, not trying to offer guaranteed contract money to a center. Um, of course, they don't really have a big role to offer. The Hawks already have Capella and Gorky Jang among healthy centers, plus a Kongwu who's going to be playing when he comes back. And then you have guys like Collins and even Gallinari who can play a little bit of five as well. So not a huge role involved there. And when you're offering a non-guarantee one-year deal, you can't expect to have a ton of great options. He isn't my favorite fit, I'll be honest, because of the defensive issues more than anything else. But you can't really... I guess the, the the phrase of beggars can't be choosers kind of comes into play here when you're offering just the non-guaranteed minimum. I would have preferred, like, Bismarck Biombo is a guy that I've kind of mentioned a few times. And the Hawks could have tried to get him, and he, and he said no. Because that's the other thing is, like, certain guys that you might want that you might say, I'd rather have that, rather have that guy, they know the Hawks don't really have a role to offer. So no one's going to be sort of beating down their door to sign a uh, non-guaranteed deal in Atlanta. So with all that said, it is totally fine with me to sign Okafor to this contract. It's a non-guaranteed minimum. That depth, that insurance policy at center is not a bad idea at all. Now, on paper, there, there's sort of a battle that's going to happen between Okafor and Timothy Luau Cabarro in the coming days. Uh, they're both on non-guaranteed contracts, and the Hawks only have one roster spot available, uh, barring a trade, which could, still, which could still happen, obviously. But unless a trade happens, they only have one spot for those two guys who are you know, prominent enough names to be recognizable. Um, TLC is the better player. Um, no question about that in my mind, full stop. And generally, you want to keep the better player. Plus, I am always of the mind that you cannot have too much wing depth and another NBA-quality player on the wing is a good idea. Uh, the flip side, counter-argument would be that Schlenk has liked um, on paper since he took over. They've almost always had at least three, if not four, even five centers on the roster. They like to have that depth. Coaches like to have that depth. Um, whether you like it or not, basically. They didn't act like the Plumley days in Atlanta. They've always kind of had more centers than that they actually needed. And this year, at least right now, with Kong Wu already injured, they only have two and a half. You know, Collins is definitely a center a center um, in some ways, but more of a power forward when he's starting there. So all that said, that could be a priority for Nate McMillan and Travis Schlank to have someone else that can play there, and the Hawks could prioritize that. Um, also, this is always sort of overlooked, but this could be fluctuating by what happens in training camp in the preseason. Um, for example... If someone is banged up on the wing, or if DeAndre Hunter takes a little bit longer to recover as he comes back from a lengthy injury, they might want that wing depth with TLC rather than going with the center. 
Um, the same can be true in the other direction, though. If Capella were to be banged up in training camp or if Gorgie Jang were to miss a couple of weeks with an ankle injury or something like that, um, now you kind of need another body in the front court. So that could be driven by that. Um, again, my opinion, and I'll be clear about it, is that I think TLC is the better player. And unless there's an injury, I would keep TLC um, on paper right now. He's the better guy, in my opinion. So of those two, of those two in a sort of head-to-head battle, I'm going to lean toward him. With that said, I do understand, and I've, I've sort of predicted multiple times, that they're going to sign a big, and that guy's a little before. So there you go. Um, all that said, it's going to be interesting to see, obviously. And uh, the Hawks now, I think, in terms of roster machinations, I never want to speak definitively, but it would not surprise me now. This is what, is what the, the group that they had going to training camp in the preseason. And then, uh, just for the record, they can have 20 guys on the roster for training camp. But it has to go to 15 before the regular season begins. And they have 14 guaranteed contracts, um, plus the two ways. But um, they have one spot available. And the two prominent names for that final spot on the roster are TLC and Okafor. But that's the uh, gist of that. Okafor, a flawed player for sure, but he is an NBA caliber backup center. So there you go on that. And uh, we'll come on. I'm sure we'll talk about that again in the future when he arrives for training camp preseason stuff. But uh, that's sort of the overview as I know it right now on Thursday as the news happens. All right, before we get into the rest of the podcast, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Built Bar. With Built Bar, there are so many delicious flavors that there's always something for everyone, and honestly, it's difficult to pick just one. If you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're always passionate about their favorites, but for me, I have more than one, quite frankly. If you don't know all the Built Bar flavors at this point in time, you're absolutely missing out. They have coconut, they have cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, German chocolate, and my personal favorite has to be cookies and cream. It's been that way for a long time, but even with my affection for cookies and cream, there are other options that are honestly just about as good, and really they're fantastic for everyone that enjoys Built Bar. In addition to being extremely tasty, and Built Bar is extremely tasty, they're also very, very healthy. They have 17 to 18 grams of protein, the calorie range is 130 to 180, they only have 4 or 5 grams of sugar, and they only have 4 or 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors all the way across the board, they're all tasty, and they're all healthy. If you order today, they get the grass popper cookie or the raspberry or whatever you like. And if you go to built.com and use the promo code locked on, 15% off your order with Built Bar. Use the promo code locked on, 15% off at built.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Sweatblock. There are a few things in life that just are not any fun to talk about, and one of them is excessive sweating. It's not fun for anyone to sweat through their shirt for no reason. I'm sure we've all dealt with this at some point in time, and while there are definitely bigger problems in the world, it can certainly feel like a big deal when it happens in the moment. And that's why you should check out Sweatblock and Iperspirant Wipes. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You can simply apply it at night before you go to bed, and then after you go to bed, the next morning you can wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying at all about sweat. Guaranteed. Sweatblock is doctor-created and doctor-recommended. It works for up to seven days per use. There is also, by the way, a dry shirt guarantee, and if Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. It's manufactured in the USA. Sweatblock has a bestseller on Amazon and other places for the past decade. I know it might sound too good to be true, but it absolutely works. You can wear what you want to wear with confidence, and it really is an absolute must-have. If you or someone you know and love is dealing with this, you have to check out Sweatblock right now. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code LOCKEDON or check it out at a CVS near you right now. One more time, that is promo code LOCKEDON at sweatblock.com for 20% off. Promo code LOCKEDON at sweatblock.com. All right, and a few news items to hit on here before we get into the mailbag itself. Earlier this week, there was some news about the G League, which I know is not a huge topic of conversation on this podcast, but the Hawks are now back in action 
on the G League, which is important to point out. There is a new schedule format that was announced for the G League. It's 50 games total. There's a 14-game showcase cup to begin the season. That goes all the way into the annual showcase in Las Vegas. At least that's where it was the last time around. And then there are 36 regular season games before the traditional G League playoff structure actually begins. So 14 plus 36 up to 50 games overall, and the Hawks are back in action uh, down in College Park. Their first game at home is November the 5th, so we're less than two months away from that. As a reminder, the Hawks did not go to the G League bubble last year, and other than the bubble, there was no season in the G League. It was just that one stretch of time where most of the league, at least part of the league, was there. The Hawks were not. So College Park has not played a, a game overall since March 11th of 2020. That's obviously, you know, 18 months ago at this point in time. They haven't had a home game since February 29th of 2020. So it's been a long time. They had that pretty new arena down there in College Park. That's actually a nice facility. And I know fans are excited to go down there, in part because they have a couple of interesting players this time around. You know, last year, the two-way guys were with the team all year in Atlanta. This year, you have Sharif Cooper as the headliner, and that was in the release from the Hawks as well. He's going to be there at some point, you know, a local product, very, very exciting second-round pick on a two-way. He's going to be the headline attraction, but also Skylar Mays will be down there at some point as well. Those are two NBA-quality players that will be in the G League throughout, and then a bunch of other guys competing for time. And um, I, Again, I'm not going to cover the G League in depth, as I just do the lack of time mostly, but it's a nice product, honestly. It's fun to watch basketball. These guys are competitive. And uh, obviously a cheaper ticket as well if you want to go down to a game at, at College Park. So uh, that'll be happening starting in early November in a 50-game format this year for the G League. And again, Skylar Mays and Tariq Cooper uh, provide some intrigue down there for the G League. Um, also, our friends at Atlanta AG, a sponsor to this podcast, have now installed a pair of early betting lines for the Hawks this season that they announced on Wednesday. Um, the Hawks opened as a 2.5-point favorite against the Mavs in the opener um, you know, early in the season, obviously not, um, you know, not to establish that at that point in time, but the first game of the year you can now bet on with the Hawks is a two and a half point favorite over Dallas. And then the Hawks are also a one point underdog on the road against the Knicks for the Christmas Day game. Now that line is already available to be fair. Um, and I talked about it a little bit earlier this summer, but it's a long way off. And all Hawks fans thought it was funny when I tweeted it out that the Knicks were favored in that game. I totally understand. I think the Hawks are better than the Knicks, but it's on the road. It's a weird early game as well, and there'd be a lot of hype about that one for obvious reasons. If I had to pick right now today, which I absolutely do not have to do, but if I had to do that, I would probably take the Hawks. But uh, I understand the line, at least on some level. And then the Hawks being favored at home over Dallas. This is about right to me. You know, the Hawks um, you know, in their home building, I'm sure, will be pretty good this year. I think Atlanta is better than Dallas overall right now as well, uh, even if not by a, you know, by a huge margin. I think the Hawks are better than the Mavs, and uh, you know, being at home there, I think that's probably uh, pretty safe to say the Hawks should be favored in that game. A little bit of uncertainty there, obviously, because it's the first game of the year, but there's a normal preseason rip-up this year, so a little bit less uncertainty um, as there was last year when things got going in a hurry. This year, a normal lead-in, so a little bit less of that uh, fuzziness of the game of the season. So, at any rate... Check it all out at BetOnline.ag, but those were out and available to talk about starting this week. Also, I got a couple of questions, and we'll sort of start the mailbag portion of the podcast here, about the ESPN summer forecast that came out in the middle of this week. Um, there's, I guess there's a panel that votes on that or at least puts it together. No names attached at this point in time, but ESPN released their quote-unquote official projections for the NBA, and uh, the Eastern Conference was one of those. And the Hawks are projected number five in the East. In the regular season, at 47 and 35, behind the Nets at 58 wins, the Bucks at 57 wins, the Sixers at 50 wins, and the Heat 
at 49 wins. Also, the Hawks are ahead of Boston, who's at 45 wins. And as I've said a few times on this podcast, I think 47 wins is too few for the Hawks. They're, they're going to beat that number. They're over-under, uh, which I've talked about a lot on this podcast as well, at Bet Online and elsewhere, is you know, in that 46.5-47 range. I am firmly on the over with regard to that number. I don't think it's crazy to project like 48 or 49 wins for the Hawks, but I definitely am over that. And I think, you know, 50 plus is not out of the question by any means. I might even go there if I was projecting the Hawks right now. I think the Hawks are better than the Heat, just flat out, and in particular in the regular season. Um, Miami is not a deep team at all. In fact, if you look at their roster, they obviously have some pretty impressive guys. You know, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, etc. But their depth is kind of just non-existent at this point in time. Whereas the Hawks are suited very well to a grueling 82-game season with all their depth. So even if you thought Miami was better in the playoffs, I'm not, I'm not sure I would even go there. Regular season-wise, I definitely lean to Atlanta based on their uh, you know sort of flexibility and the fact that they uh, they're just a lot deeper, honestly, and I think just better overall. And also, the Philadelphia thing is interesting, too. You know, Ben Simmons is, uh, that's a saga, for sure. I know uh, I've sort of ignored some questions about Ben Simmons being traded to the Hawks, as Hawks fans have asked me, sort of hypotheticals. And until there's a link between those two, those two sides, maybe I'll answer something at some point. But um, not, not a great fit there for Ben Simmons. But regardless, back to the projections. Philadelphia is impossible to project. Now, I understand, though, that that's not really an answer you can give. If you're a major outlet like ESPN or The Athletic or CBS or whatever, and you have to do predictions. You know, there's a season coming up in a week and a half with uh, camp opening, so you can't just say, you know, TBD on Philadelphia, I guess. But that's really the answer. Um, you know, without any any other information, I would definitely say, you know, there's a chance Philly goes into the year without trading Simmons, but with him not playing. If you just take him off the roster, the Hawks are better than the Sixers. Um, you know, there could be a trade, and they probably will get worse at least in terms of talent because of his value not being there. All that fun stuff. But regardless. It's hard to project Philadelphia. I understand the um, sort of lean to having them in the top three or four in the East, but right now it's a giant question mark, and I don't really know what to do with that. So there you go on that. Okay, um, but yeah, I guess Cliff Notes version, uh, too low on the Hawks at number five overall and 47 wins. I am over on both of those things for Atlanta. All right, first question from a person uh, in particular that I'll get to here comes from Tommy, and he asks uh, the following. It seems like top 100 lists should be coming out in the next week or so. How many players do you expect the Hawks to have on the top 100 for various sites? And how many players should the Hawks have on those lists? Um, first of all, front of the podcast, Tower Jones is going to love this question. He loves top 100 lists. He loves all rankings of all kinds. So please, at Tyler, <laughs> ask him for his thoughts. I'm kidding. He actually hates this stuff. But I'm sorry, Tyler. I have to, ask, have to answer the question. But... As an example, I'll give you one ranking from last year. Obviously, this is a little bit different. There's all kinds of lists, by the way. ESPN, CBS, Sports Illustrated will do one almost certainly. There'll probably be four or five of these top 100 lists to monitor. I know Washington Post used to do one. I'm not sure if they still do. But there's definitely four or five of these that will be making the rounds in the next couple of days and weeks. Last season, before the season, again, this is a preseason list, but I'll give you some context for ESPN's list pre-last season. They had uh, four guys on the Hawks in the top 100. It was Gallinari at 85, Collins at 84, which I went crazy about being too low and was correct about that, um, Bogey at 62, and Trey Young at 29. That was the four guys on ESPN's list. Famously, Capella was left off, which I thought was crazy, um, but at least there was the injury stuff with Capella. He hadn't played in a year, all that stuff. I think now, obviously, he is going to be in the, on these lists. At least he should be on all these lists. Um, so that, that's five. And then you throw in the other guys as well. Um, if I had to guess, to answer the question, what a random one of these top 100s might, might look like, and again, there's going to be a lot of these, so they want to be the same. I, I think there's four locks 
for the Hawks. I think Trey, Collins, Capella, and Bogdanovich should and will be on all of these top 100 lists. I'll be surprised that they're not. Um, beyond that, you get into Hunter and Gallinari, I think, are the two guys with realistic pass. I think maybe it wouldn't be crazy to have Herder on the top 100 lists. I'm just not sure that's going to actually happen. I think he's still probably underrated by the general national public. Plus, he's going to be coming off the bench, most likely. So, I think you will probably see Hunter and or Gallo on some of these lists. Gallo famously made some lists last year. I think, as I said on, on the podcast with Zach Hood, um, I have. I think I still have him as a top 100 player. Same for Hunter. So, if I had to guess my personal list, it would be six guys with Hunter and Gallinari. You know, Gallo definitely towards the back of that top 100. Hunter a little bit higher, probably, based on what we saw last year, if he's healthy. But those top four plus those two, and again, if Herter snuck on, I wouldn't be surprised, nor would I be outraged. I think it's just projection-wise I would go with those other, you know, I think definitely five, the whole, the whole starting five for me. Gallinari you can sort of take either way, but I think he's still a top 100 player personally in a vacuum. And then you throw in uh, Herter as the seventh potential guy. Okay, uh, before we get to the rest of our mailbag questions on today's podcast, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is rockauto.com. Have you ever gone to a chain store looking for auto parts that fit your car? Is it maddening? Because it is for me. I know it has been in the past and it will be if I ever try that again. But frankly, I don't ever need to do that again because of rockauto.com. Rock Auto has been serving auto parts customers for 20 years at this point in time. And you could save time and money when you use Rock Auto. They have all kinds of auto parts that will fit your lifestyle, fit your preferences, and the best part is you don't have to endure the pointless questioning from someone behind the counter who's only looking to sell you the one part or one kind of part that they have in their warehouse. RockAuto.com has everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. And honestly, the prices are always reliably low for every customer and they really serve the do-it-yourselfer very, very effectively. You can go explore their website right now. It's very easy to use. You can find a solution to your auto parts needs in one place. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you want to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends at BetOnline.ag. Basketball is always the centerpiece of this podcast, but it's that time of the year again, and all eyes are turning to football as teams across the country are getting back on the gridiron to start the 2021 season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the professional and college football action this season. You can get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor contest open now at BetOnline.ag. Head to the website immediately or use your mobile device sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus with the site. Be sure to take full advantage of the opening day Super Promo. If you make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys, if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when you sign up and use the promo code NFL100. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports action. In addition to football and basketball, they have baseball and golf, tennis, MMA, boxing, auto racing, everything that you're looking for, you can find it all in one place at betonline.ag. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll close the show up with a pair of questions that are related and also, you know, sort of the same, sort of similar anyway, so I'm grouping them together. The first one came from Lenny, who asked, who are all the first-time All-Star candidates for the Hawks this year and who is the most likely to make it other than Trey Young? And then we also got a question from our friend Jerry Hinnon, formerly of CBS, big Auburn guy, shouts to Jerry. Um, he asks, if you set the line on the 2021-22 Hawks All-Stars at the over-under of 1.5 with the over at plus 150 
and the under at minus 180, which side would you take? So I'll combine those two, basically talking about all-star candidates for the Hawks this season. Uh, I'll start with Trey, just to get it out of the way. I've said it a few times, I'll be pretty surprised, almost shocked, if Trey's not an all-star this year. It would probably take an injury or something for Trey not to make it, I don't think. He should have been one last year. I said that as much at the time. It looks even crazier now in retrospect that he was not an all-star. That is obviously something that's been litigated to death. But I think that Trey should have been an all-star. He will be again. He should be. He's definitely an all-star player. And I'm just writing him in a pen, basically, barring injury or something weird happening with Trey. Um, Beyond that, the other candidates, if you're trying to be realistic, are probably Collins, Capella, Bogdanovich, and maybe Hunter as the next four potential guys. I think you probably can't get there in terms of projections for like Herder or Reddish or Gallinari just because of the roles coming off the bench. Being an all-star is a pretty high bar, even in the East, and the East are stronger now than it was previously. It's just you have to be a top-12 guy. That's not something I can see happening for those guys this season. Um, but I do think that there is a possibility for Collins, Capella, Magdanovich, or Hunter to actually get there, um, not necessarily being voted in, but certainly by the coaches. Um, Collins and Capella have had the numbers needed to in the past – to get into the All-Star conversation, you know, two years ago, Collins averaged 22 and 10 with a 66% true shooting. And those are definitely All-Star numbers. Now that team was awful, um, which maybe he never really had a chance at that. But if those numbers are replicable at all for Collins on a good team, that's a pretty easy way to get in the conversation. I would guess he doesn't get quite to 22 and 10, but the efficiency has been off the charts um, for a while for Collins. If he scores 20 game with like nine rebounds a game on a really, really good team, um, I can see that potentially being rewarded as a second All-Star for the Hawks, for sure. He'd have a chance at nothing else. Um, Capella had, on my mind anyway, the best year of his career last year. I think he was awesome. Um, he didn't get that close to an All-Star bid because of the team's record. He was kind of off the radar, but you know, top six in Defensive Player of the Year, etc. And I think in reality, if the Hawks had been better at the All-Star break last year, Capella would have gotten some buzz, at least some faint buzz. I think that he probably has to be... Um, able to do that again to actually get into the mix here, but I think it should have been closer last year. He needs to get that done. You know, he led the league in rebounding last year. I'm not sure if that's a potential like baseline to project, but he can definitely do that again. You know, averaging like 15 and 14, something like what he did, what he did last year. The numbers will never be crazy for him offensively, but if you factor in the defense, and I think the biggest thing for Capella, other than just team success and the rebounding, um, particularly for all-star stuff because you need stats to get there, is if the Hawks have a good defense in the first half, he'll get the credit for that. And he should. Last year, he was the anchor of that defense. He was the reason, at least the number one reason, why they were much better defensively than they were the previous year. And if they're like a top 10 defense at the All-Star break, he might get some buzz just from being the anchor of that group. So I think those those two guys have uh, have had pretty obvious cases previously that they can sort of get to again. Um, Then you have Hunter and Bogey, who are just a little bit different. They haven't quite gotten there in terms of production-wise just yet. But, you know, Hunter... Last year averaged 18 and 6 in the first 17 games on really efficient shooting. Um, that was pre injury, and I'm not sure it was like fully sustainable. He shot the heck out of the ball early in the year. But if he does that on a little bit bigger volume, that's obviously a pretty decent all star pace. And you know, he's a top five pick, he's a recognizable name. I think I wouldn't project it, but I could see a scenario where Hunter averages 21 a game this year and just completely explodes. Um, that's possible. The numbers may not be there though for me to get him actually into the all star conversation because again, you probably have to average 20 a game to be an all-star. Unless you're Rudy Gobert, basically everyone averages 20 a game that's an all-star. And that's sort of an artificial baseline, but it's kind of the reality for the most part, unless you have a special circumstance, and you just kind of have to have the numbers along the way. Now, Bogdanovich, 
if he was the guy from last year at the end of the year, the entire way, he'd have a chance because he was so out of his mind through like late March to the end of the season. He averaged 22 points a game and shot 49% from three down the stretch. Now that's obviously a small sample size that he can't quite shoot that well. Nobody can shoot that well. Even Steph can't shoot 50% from three on a huge sample size probably. Well, maybe he can. He's a freak. But um, if Boogie shot like the low to mid 40s on big volume and average 20 a game, he could get there. Um, I wouldn't project it again for either one of these guys, but it's at least plausible that Bogey has like a Clay Thompson season where he just shoots the ball ridiculously well. And honestly, the biggest thing for all of this beyond Trey is that if the Hawks are like a top two seed at the All-Star break, there is often a push to get a second All-Star for one of these teams. You know, we saw it last year a couple times, like Utah ended up getting three guys in because they were number one in the league by a lot at that point in time. It doesn't have to be like a crazy pace, but if you were a top two or three seed, often, at least there's some people that argue that you could have more than two, more than one all-star because you just can't be that good without having two stars. Now, the Hawks have so much depth, maybe they, they won't quite get that bump that other teams might get. But if you pencil in Trey, that makes a lot of sense to me, and I sort of play the odds on that one. Uh, to answer Jerry's question, in which the betting lines are interesting, that he made those up, which is actually a good job by Jerry, I think. The under one and a half being the favorite, I think is true. It is more likely for the Hawks to get one or zero All-Stars than it is for the Hawks to get two. I do believe that in terms of just practically speaking. Um, but with that said, I think it's very, very possible. And the plus 150 that Jerry throws out, um, you know, plus odds getting more than you put in on two, I think I might take that. I think I might take the over, actually, just because I believe the Hawks are going to be good this year. I believe that Trey is a pretty much a mortal lock barring injury. So you're basically saying, can one of Collins, Capella, Hunter, Bogdanovich make um, either a leap or a replication of a previous year with more um, sort of accreditation towards that if you factor in uh, sort of the markets and how everybody talks about these guys. So I might lean over at, the, at that number. If it was a coin flip, I would take the under. If you're getting plus odds on the over, I might go that way. But again, having four different candidates definitely helps with that. And I think if the Hawks, again, are a top two or three seed is their only path. I think if the Hawks are like the sixth seed at the All-Star break, Trey gets in and nobody else has a chance, most likely. But if the Hawks are, you know, climbing up there with Brooklyn and Miami, or sorry, Miami, Brooklyn and Milwaukee, or both, uh, then they have a, a much better chance. Realistically, just the way this stuff goes often is that teams that are winning get rewarded. And that's probably the reason why Trey didn't make it last year, which crazy as that is. I think the Hawks were like the sixth seed or seventh seed when they voted. He still didn't get in. So... Regardless, there you go on that. All-star stuff is obviously premature, but a fun thought exercise because, as I've been saying for a long time, Trey's going to be an all-star, uh, barring something shocking, and uh, they do have some other candidates, which makes it interesting. Okay, uh, that'll do it for today's podcast from Jalil Okafor on down. Uh, please subscribe to the show. Again, if you missed anything from our Player Capsule series with Zach Hood, it's been a lot of fun. We've done, we've done five or six shows already. We have a couple more to go, going through the entire roster, essentially breaking down some guys where they look back at last year, as well as some context overall, looking ahead to this year, etc. Those have been fun to do, and please tell your friends about the podcast as well. Leave a five-star rating at your podcast player of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, Odyssey, uh, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music has the show. All, we're everywhere. So if, if you can't find us, let me know that at BT Roll on Twitter, at Locked on Hawks on Twitter. Follow me, follow the show. Again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you all next time.